Hello and welcome to The Green Hornet from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. X3, X3, 7 x now the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush, presents The Green Hornet. <laughs> the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. With his faithful valet Cato, Rick Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with the underworld, risking his life that criminals and racketeers within the law may feel its weight by the sting of the Green Hornet. Now ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling adventure of The Spy Master. The Green Hornet strikes again. The adventures of the Green Hornet are brought to you by the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. Delicious Orange Crush is made with real fresh oranges. With all its wonderful fresh fruit flavor, sealed in that sunproof Orange Crush brown bottle. The exclusive brown bottle that keeps light out, keeps flavor in. Always look for that exclusive brown bottle and enjoy the one and only Orange Crush. Scientist Leonard Fulton, a key man in the government's newest and greatest defense project, was a spy. In spite of security measures, he had gathered complete information regarding the fearsome secret weapon. He had spent the entire night in his suburban home, transferring the information to documents which would be given to his foreign superiors. He placed the documents in a safe, hidden behind a wall panel in his den. Then, smiling, he turned to his wife, herself a traitor. Sarah, my dear, the next step is yours. Shall I call our comrades at headquarters and tell them we're ready to transfer the information to them? Of course. That is the next step, isn't it? Leonard, who can that be at this hour of morning? <laughs> Are you afraid it may be the FBI? Oh. I assure you, dear, they'll have to get up earlier than this to catch yours truly. Do this. Sarah Fulton answered the door. The man who stood there was slight and bespectacled. He was Chauncey Gardner, another well-known scientist and also engaged with Fulton on the government's defense project. Unlike Fulton, Gardner was a patriotic American. Sarah Fulton invited him inside, then went back to her husband's den. Leonard, it's Chauncey Gardner. He seems very upset and says he must see you at once. He does, huh? Well, tell the little bald-headed coot that he... Oh, he's coming in here. Leonard, I hope you don't mind. I couldn't wait out there. I had to see you at once. About... about Charles Dempster's death. What? Charles Dempster's death. Leonard, you're here? Chauncey, you're fooling. Dempster's not dead. He can't be. I saw him last night. And then he went home and killed himself. Killed himself? Why? Why, Chauncey, do you know? Yes, Leonard, I know. The police or the government security men don't know why he's a suicide, but I do. Stop playing the role of talking sphinx. What are you trying to say? If you know, Leonard, I'll not have to tell you. If you don't... Then I'd rather not tell you in front of your wife. Oh. Don't leave, Sarah. 
Chauncey, whatever you have to say, you may say in front of Sarah. Well, it's this letter, Leonard. I received it in the mail this morning. It's the last letter Charles Dempster wrote before he took his own life. Written after he met you, as you'll see. I thought you should be given the opportunity to read it before I take the only action logical. Let me see it. So that's it. Leonard, you're upset. What is it? Jellyfish, Dempster. Chauncey, do you believe what that psychopath Dempster says about me? That I am actually master of a spy ring and that he and others passed vital information to me? Do you actually believe those things? What I believe doesn't matter. I came here to get your version of the matters he outlines. If you have nothing to tell me in rebuttal of what Dempster wrote, I'll go to the security bureau right now. Leonard, don't let him do that. Don't let him. I don't intend to, Chauncey. You'll stay right here. Sit down in that chair. <coughs> Sarah, get my gun from the desk drawer. Yes, sir. Why are you doing this, Leonard? You... You're going to kill me? No, Chauncey. I have other thoughts in mind. Here's the gun, darling. Use it to guard this would-be informer, Sarah. I'm leaving for the city at once. I'll go to the federal building and tell a story they'll be forced to believe. I'll say that Chauncey was the guilty party. The spy master who supervised Dempster and the others who stole secrets. Chauncey Gardner, usually a mild man, suddenly became aware of the perilous situation. Perilous not only to him, but to the security of the United States. He began to formulate a plan in his mind, shortly after Leonard Fulton departed for the city. More than half an hour passed, however, before he could make himself put the plan into action. Then, as Sarah Fulton sat opposite him with pointed gun, he arose from his chair and grasped his chest. Oh, my, my heart! My heart! What's the matter with you? Sit down in your chair. I can't. My heart. I, I need water. Curtis, I must get it. Come back here. Where are you going? For water. You're not. You are going to stay here. I'll... Give me oh, that oh, gun, oh, Mrs. Fulton. You sneaky. Oh, my arm. My arm. I must have that gun. Oh. There. You get back into the closet over there, Mrs. Fulton. I'm going to the federal building myself. I'll confront your husband. Chauncey Gardner locked the door of the closet behind Sarah Fulton, then left the house. Inside the closet, the woman merely reached to a hook at the side of the door and removed the key that was left there for emergencies, as in every closet in the house. She opened the door and stepped into the den again, heading for the telephone. Then she called a number in the city. Metropolitan 98362, please. Hello, comrade. This is Sarah Fulton. I know, I know I'm not supposed to, but this is terribly important. Now listen to me, please. Quickly, the woman told what had happened. She pleaded that someone try to intercept Chauncey Gardner before he reached the federal building where her husband was telling his fabricated story. The comrade at the other end of the wire outlined a plan, and Sarah beamed. And he'll be in front of the federal building? Good. Just be sure it's a comrade who knows Gardner, and tell him to be careful. <laughs> Chauncey Gardner parked his car in front of the federal building and started across the sidewalk. 
but a dark, hulking man stood in front of him. Turn around, Mr. Garth. What? We'll go for a little walk together. What are you doing? That lump in my pocket against your side is a gun. Unless you do as I say, I shall use it on you. Why? Now don't look around for help. It is no use. Just do as I have told you. Oh, uh, yeah, all right. I have a car parked in an alley around the corner. We'll go to it. Come, walk with me. Chauncey Gardner was living in another nightmare. But once more, his mind was active. On the corner was the Sentinel building, and his friend, Britt Reed, was there. He knew, too, that there would be special policemen on duty somewhere in the lobby. As they reached the building entrance, Gardner turned suddenly and pushed his captor. The man, taken by surprise, was thrown off balance. He staggered backwards, tripped over the curbing, and sprawled heavily onto the street. Meanwhile, Gardner ran into the lobby. There was no special policeman in sight, and the elevators were at the far end of the lobby. Just inside the entrance was a stairway, and Gardner, panicky and seeking immediate refuge, started up the stairs towards the second floor, shouting as he ran. Help! Police! Seconds later, the dark man rushed into the lobby from the street, brandishing his pistol. He pushed aside the startled onlookers, and seeing Gardner disappear through the doorway on the second floor, the man started after him. In Britt Reed's office, Lenore Case, the young publisher's secretary, was answering the telephone. I'm sorry, but Mr. Reed should be back any minute. I'll have him call you when he arrives. Certainly. Goodbye. Hide me someplace. Call the police. Mr. Gardner, what's wrong? Wait, wait till I lock this door. Uh, Miss Case, I, I'm not going mad. But a man is trying to kill me. My life is in danger. But it's more than that. So is the security of this country. Telephone the police or the Federal Bureau. Oh my Operator, operator, get the guards up here. Call the police. Tell them that I... I know you are in there. You cannot keep me out. Are you calling the guards, operator? Hurry, please. Mr. Gardner, go into Mr. Reed's office. Please. All right, all right, Miss Case. Where is he? Where? I see him. Keep out of there. Don't go into that office. You cannot get away, Mr. Gardner. I got you. Oh, you shot him. Stop it. Don't shoot again. The gunman ran into the corridor just as policemen summoned from the lobby came running towards Reed's office with drawn guns. The gunman saw them and began to fire. You'll not take me. i kill you all. But the police fired at the same moment and the gunman dropped to the floor, dead. Inside the office, Lenore Case knelt beside Chauncey Gardner. The scientist, gasping, tried to speak. Fulton did this. Fulton did Spy. Mr. Gardner, try to get... Dead. Miss Case, where are you? This way, man. Come here. Hey, grab her. She's passing out. Right. Lenore Case was able to gasp her story to Brick Reed. She finished at the moment that Federal Security Agent Joseph Baldwin entered, accompanied by Reed's close friend, Police Commissioner Higgins. Higgins spoke first. Well, I'm sorry, Reed. I hurried here as soon as I received the news. Thanks, Commissioner. Mr. Baldwin, this is a great blow to the government, isn't it? Gardner's dead? Yes. Almost as good as the one we received a little more than an hour ago. When a man almost as famous as your friend Chauncey Gardner came to my office and reported to me that Gardner was a spy. A spy? Whoever said that was a liar. Well, that may be. We have to investigate. 
But another trusted scientist, Charles Dempster, killed himself last night. We've already learned that he gave information to our potential enemy. Oh, no. Yes, it's true. He was definitely mixed up in a commie spy ring. We found proof of that this morning. But before Dempster died, he called Fulton on the phone and told him certain things which we're checking on. Most important was that he was only one of a spy ring working on the government's newest project and that Gardner was head of that ring. Dempster told Fulton that Gardner already had complete information about the project and had passed it on to... Well, you guess who? I don't believe a word of it. Either Dempster lied... That'll be hard to prove, no. Or Fulton's all mixed up. Mm. Mr. Baldwin, you're surely not going to accept his story. We accept nothing but proof, Reed. Indisputable proof. Pardon me while I answer this. Reed speaking. Why, yes, yes, he's right here. Commissioner, for you. Oh, thanks, Reed. Yes? No, you didn't. Well, let's have it. Mm-hmm. Go on. Right, right. Thanks, Doyle. Yes, I'll be here. Goodbye. Well, gentlemen, you may be sure of one thing. There's definitely a communist angle to Gardner's death. Yes. What? It's a fact. That was the fingerprint bureau. When homicide men arrived here, they immediately took a set of fingerprints of the man who killed Gardner. They made a quick check of them at headquarters. The prints belonged to one Boris Angola, an old hand in local red goon activities. That looks bad for Gardner, Reed. Mr. Baldwin... Before you try to reach definite conclusions, suppose you hear what Miss Case has to say. Perhaps you'll get a different slant on things when you do. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Gals, fellas, hello. And how about an orange crush? Wouldn't it taste delicious just at this moment? That cool, tangy, refreshing flavor. So good because it comes from real oranges. Fresh, tree-ripened California oranges. I bet Mother's got an orange crush waiting for you in the refrigerator right now. Well, let's go and see. And if she hasn't, I'm sure she would have if she'd thought about it. So why not remind her? Tell her you like orange crush. And you can tell her it's good for you, too. Yes, sirree, Orange Crush is not only deliciously refreshing, it's real good for you. When it comes to Orange Crush, you can drink all you want. You see, there's nothing artificial about it. No artificial flavoring, no artificial coloring. That delightful fresh fruit flavor is nature's own. So remind Mother to get a six-bottle handy pack next time she's shopping or ordering from the grocers. And say, always, any time you're feeling thirsty... Be sure to ask for Orange Crush. You'll recognize it because it comes in that famous crinkly brown bottle, the sunproof bottle that keeps sunlight out and flavor in. Get Orange Crush. Remember, there's nothing else quite as good. No other drink has the same refreshing fresh fruit flavor. So wherever you are, ask for Orange Crush. O-R-A-N-G-E-C-R-U-S-H. Orange Crush. Now, back to the Green Hornet. Miss Case, still visibly upset, was nevertheless able to recount the harrowing moments before Chauncey Gardner's death. She concluded... Just before he died, he gasped these words. 
as well as I remember. He said, Fulton, Fulton did this. Then he repeated, Fulton is a spy. He died then. Well, Mr. Baldwin, what do you think now? I think it might be a good idea to check further into Fulton's story. Uh, Commissioner, you may be able to help me. You tell me how and I'll do it. Gardner's murder is under your jurisdiction. Why not have one of your homicide men question Fulton about his knowledge of Gardner? You know the usual questions. Have him say nothing about the spy angle and pretend the police don't know one exists. See what Fulton says then. I'll do that, Mr. Baldwin. In view of what you've told me, I'd like to do the questioning myself. Well, that's even better. You uh, might take Reed along with you, Commissioner, in view of his interest in the matter. I'll be glad to go, Mr. Baldwin. Glad and very interested in what I expect to hear. Joseph Baldwin left. The police cleared out the office, and Michael Axford took the still ailing Lenore case to her home. Britt Reed closed his private office door and spoke to Commissioner Higgins, who waited for him. Commissioner, nothing in the world will make me believe that Gardner was a traitor to his country, and certainly not a spy. I have faith in your judgment and hunches, Reed. I hope that time and evidence prove you're right. In a case of this kind, time isn't going to be a factor. Not future time, as far as I'm concerned. The present is all that matters. Well, let's get out to the Fulton home, then. Oh, wait, please, just a few minutes. I'll go in your car, Commissioner. But I'd like Cato to drive a certain car of mine out to Fulton's as soon as it becomes dark. A certain car of... Oh, I think I know what you mean. Commissioner Higgins was one of the few persons who knew that Britt Reed was the Green Hornet. And so he considered Reed's present words as significant. I'll tell Cato to get out there at a definite time while we're with the Fultons. Might even be advisable to have Axford along, if you don't mind. He may be helpful. Then we'll ask him along, by all means. Now, here's my thought. We'll lead the conversation around to the Green Hornet. Reed outlined his nebulous plan, and Higgins doubtfully approved it and consented to aid. Then the young publisher called his valet, Cato, on the telephone. Cato, Reed's confidant, had been the first to know that Reed was the Green Hornet, and he shared in many of the Green Hornet's exploits. He answered the telephone. Reed residence? Oh, is you, Mr. Britt? Will you come home to dinner? Nearly time. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, yes, I listen. You tell me what to do and where to go. I listen hard now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, sure, I do that. Just like you say. Oh, throw stone through front window. Get away in big hurry, you bet. You write note for me to put on stone? Okay. I go by office first and pick up note. I then get black beauty. Oh, we do this good, huh? Oh, goodbye, Mr. Pitts. Leonard Fulton and his wife, Sarah, were surprised when, as they were finishing dinner, the door chime was heard, and three men entered after Leonard Fulton opened the door. Introductions were made, greetings exchanged, and Fulton cordially invited Reed, Higgins, and Axford to the living room where his wife joined them. Reed maneuvered himself to a chair near the French windows. Leonard Fulton, affecting a smile, studied the men with slit eyes before talking. Then he spoke. I suppose you gentlemen have come to ask me about my once very good friend, Chauncey Gardner. Yes, we have, Mr. Fulton. I thought so. Poor Chauncey. 
Who would want to kill that sweet little man? Well, that's the question a great many people are asking. You have no idea, Mr. Fulton? Me? Why, no. uh, Should I? uh, I mean, well, have you discussed a theory with anyone else? Well, our homicide detectives, naturally. You, uh, You haven't spoken with anyone in, say, the federal building? No. No, I haven't been in the federal building a long time. You see, Leonard? You, uh... You haven't heard Mr. Gardner's name used in relation to the Green Hornet, have you? The Green Hornet? Reed, you didn't tell me that. You mean the Green Hornet killed him? But he couldn't have, because the one who killed him was a commie. Axford, I'm talking to Mr. Fulton. Uh, according to my story, they might have been mixed up in a spy ring. Gardner and Charles Dempster and, uh... And who? Who else, Mr. Reed? Quiet. There's someone else you've heard about, Mr. Reed? Uh-huh. Reed is being indiscreet, I think. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner. You handle it. Hey, do you hear that? Hear what? That car outside, near here. I know the sound of that car anywhere in the world. It belongs to the Green Hornet. The Green Hornet? It is, I tell you. What's that? What's that? Look. Look on the floor. It's a rock. A rock with a note tied to it. He threw it, he did. I'll get it. Fulton, white-faced, opened the note and read it by the light of a floor lamp. His wife stood behind him, reading also. Reed whispered to Commissioner Higgins. Kato was right on time when he threw that rock. Our plan may work. Let's get out of here quickly and go through with the rest of it. Hey! The green harness getting away! Yeah, we'll go after him, Axford. Come on. Coming, Reed? Right. I'm sorry, Mr. Fulton. Hold on to that note. We're going after the green harness. Higgins ran from the room into the hall and through the front door. Axford sprinted along with him. Reed allowed an interval to pass before he took after them. While Fulton finished reading the note, neither he nor his wife saw the figure that melted into the shadows outside the French window. Rick Reed had not followed Higgins and Axford. While the commissioner, as arranged with Reed, led Axford far from the house, Reed crossed in front of it to hide in the spot where he now listened. Inside, Fulton showed his wife the note. Sarah, this is the Green Hornet seal, and this note is fantastic in its information. You mean he knows what you've been doing? He hints that he does, and judging by what he actually knows... Sarah, first he says I overplayed my hand by being at the federal building with Mr. Baldwin when Boris Angola shot Gardner. But, Leonard, you said Mr. Baldwin promised to keep your visit a secret. He said he would for security reasons. You heard Higgins and Reed just now. Neither of them knew I talked to Baldwin. But the Green Hornet knows. He even seems to know the story I told Baldwin. Perhaps if Chauncey was his friend, Chauncey called him after escaping from here. He knew how you were going to try and involve him in your place. That may be the answer. I left the note of confession Dempster sent to Chauncey in the safe with the papers. I'd better get rid of that, too. How about those papers, Leonard? I called headquarters and told them to send a courier for them late tonight. No, we can't chance that. Higgins and the other two may return here. If they do, they'll probably ask all kinds of questions about the Green Hornet's note to me and... Well, let them. If they do, the note, Dempster's letter, the papers, and everything else will be gone. Leonard, what are you going to do? I'll take everything out of the safe now while you call headquarters. What shall I tell them, Don? Say that you'll be at the post road in Burgers Lane in exactly one hour. And that you'll pass over everything in our possession. Say it's absolutely necessary for our protection. All right, Leonard. But why have me meet him? I'll stay here in the house to see if Higgins or the police return. Or if the Green Hornet pays us another visit. I'll tell Higgins you're indisposed and have retired. But let me handle that. We must hurry before they return. Get on that telephone at once. Yes, darling. Operator, let me have Metropolitan 98362, please. Thank you. Hello, comrade? Rick Reed had carried in his outer coat pocket one of the plastic raincoats that folded into a compact package of only a few cubic inches. 
He unfolded the coat and donned it to cover the clothes that might have identified him. Then he removed the mask of the Green Hornet from an inner pocket and placed this over his face. He could see and hear Sarah Fulton, less than six feet away, with her back to the window, talking into the telephone. He stepped quickly inside the window and hid behind the drapes. And I'll be in the black sedan. Goodbye, comrade. Sarah Fulton laid the telephone upon the table and turned. She frowned and walked toward the partly open French windows. Didn't realize the windows were open that wide. She reached to close the windows. And at that moment, the Green Hornet stepped from behind the drapes. Before the startled woman could yell, his gas gun went off in her face. She fell to the floor, unconscious. That's the least I could do for you, comrade. Now to tie you up and get after the real villain. Leonard Fulton, with his briefcase crammed, left his den and walked back to the room where he had left his wife. Less than ten minutes previously. They haven't returned, have they, Sarah? Did you telephone them? Sarah, where are you? Sarah, what's happened to you? Sarah! Uh, darling, what? She's bound and gagged. Who did it? There must be someone here. There must be... Green Hornet. <laughs> don't, don't shoot that gun. Stop, stop. <coughs> How cold. I'd like to have told you what I think of you, folks. Oh, I couldn't let you hear my voice. How to tie you... And look through these papers before I telephone federal authorities. A short time later, Commissioner Higgins and Axford returned to the grounds of the Fulton home after a fruitless pursuit of the Green Hornet. They saw Britt Reed emerge from a clump of bushes nearby. Hey, Commissioner, get your gun. Look at that fellow coming out. Oh. Oh, it's Reed. Reed, what happened to you? Well, you took off before I could catch up with you. I've been roaming all over since then. Well, we were roaming, too. But we didn't get that harnet gazebo. That car we heard got away, Reed. Shall we go back to the Fulton house now? Or is it too late? I don't think it's too late, Commissioner. As a matter of fact, I think this will be the perfect time to return there. The front door of the house was open, and Axford was the first to see the two bodies bound and gagged on the floor. Hey, what the... Higgins disregarded the man and woman. He went to the chair where a briefcase lay conspicuously, topped by a note. Higgins read it quickly. Oh, Axford, don't untie those two. Leave them there until the federal agents and the police get here. Huh? What do you mean, don't untie them? This note says they're spies and traitors, and that the proof is in this briefcase. Well, what do you know? It says they tried to frame Chauncey Gardner for the crimes Leonard Fulton committed, and that Mrs. Fulton was the cause of Gardner's death. Now, who'd ever thought of a thing like that? It gives a telephone number for the federal authorities to trace. Spy headquarters, this note says. Can you imagine that? It also says a spy courier will be at the post road. At the... Ah, the car's pulling up outside. I think they belong to... Yes. There's Mr. Baldwin getting out. The police are with him. Wonderful work, Reed. And so fast. Let me look at that note. I see something there. Ah, please, Commissioner, let me see. Ah, my, my, my. Look at who wrote the note, Reed. Do you see? Ah, you don't even care. Would I tell you who wrote it? It was the Green Harlot. Sentinel extract paper. Firing broken. Fulton and wife indicted. Read all about it. Secret plans recovered. Green Hornet escaped. Sentinel X-ray paper! <laughs>
the Green Hornet story for today. Another exciting story brought to you by the most refreshing drink in the world. The drink that's actually good for you because it's made with real oranges. The one and only Orange Crush. It sparkles, it tingles, it makes you feel fresh again. Always keep several bottles in your refrigerator. And always remember, the handy way to do that is to get the handy pack. Six bottles of Orange Crush in a handy carrying case. This program is a feature of the Green Hornet Incorporated, created by George W. Trendle, produced by Trendle Campbell Muir Incorporated, directed by Charles D. Livingston, and edited by Fran Stryker. The part of the Green Hornet is played by Jack McCarthy. This copyrighted feature originates in Detroit, and all characters, places, and incidents used are fictitious. The Green Hornet is brought to you every Wednesday and Friday at this same time by the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. That's the drink you like best of all. Try it. Next time, ask for Orange Crush. But remember, don't say orange. Say Orange Crush. O-R-A-N-G-E-C-R-U-S-H. Orange Crush. Next Friday, listen to the Green Hornet again in the story of danger entitled Changing Alibi. And now till Friday, this is Fred Foy saying so long from Orange Crush. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.